following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Uh, at the moment, we're in a series where we're looking at spiritual practices that help us to grow in our Christian faith. Uh, practices that train our hearts to love God and to desire Him and His kingdom more than anything else. And uh, so far in the series, we've looked at some major practices of the Christian life. We've looked at prayer, we've looked at scripture, we've looked at serving. And uh, I know I've had feedback from some of you around uh, the practice that we looked at last week of Lectio Divina. And some of you have tried this out and found that there is a real richness to it. And that it's, it's a, a beautiful way of being led deeply into the scriptures and really entering into the, the, the scriptures and meeting the Lord there. Uh, so keep going with that and make that a habit if you can in your life as a way of meditating on the Word of God. So most, most Christians, I think, would probably consider the, the first three practices that we've looked at so far fairly normal, fairly standard. Scripture, prayer, serving, even if we're not regularly engaged in them, we'd probably consider those fairly mainstream parts of the Christian life. But this morning, we are going way outside the box. We are looking at the practice of fasting, fasting, going without food for a period of time. And uh, if, if the first three practices have seemed kind of normal to you, uh, fasting probably seems anything but normal. We tend to associate fasting, or, or at least I do, with monks uh, in monasteries in the Middle Ages, the three M's really of fasting, that's how I think about it. Uh, rather than with North Shoreites sitting in cafes in the 21st century. It just feels a world away from our experience. Fasting sounds fanatical, it sounds weird, it sounds hyper-religious, it sounds bizarre. Uh, to some people it sounds unchristian. It sounds like, you know, why would we want to punish our bodies like that? The, these good bodies that God has given us. Why would we want to deny ourselves the food that God has bountifully provided for us? It sounds like some weird ascetic kind of ritual that actually degrades the physicality of what God's created. And yet, you only need to do a quick word search on fasting in the Bible to see that it's quite a prominent practice. We don't tend to notice that because we're not looking for it, but it is a fairly prominent practice, not only in the Old Testament, but right through to the New Testament as well. Jesus spent time in fasting. He talked to his disciples about fasting. The early church had a practice of fasting. And fasting, through the biblical story, was a means that people used, a tool, if you like, that people used to call upon God's name for a variety of reasons and purposes. So I think fasting is, of all the disciplines and practices that we'll look at, fair to say fasting is probably the least understood, the most neglected practice of all these practices, and yet, quite possibly, fasting is among the most powerful spiritual disciplines and tools that are available to us. Richard Foster says this about fasting. He says, Fasting can bring breakthroughs in the spiritual realm that will never happen in any other way. It is a means of God's grace and blessing that should not be neglected any longer. Jesus himself said there's, there's kinds of demons that only come out by prayer and fasting. I'm not saying we should go looking for a demon around every corner, but it's clear there are types of spiritual breakthrough that can only happen through the disciplines of prayer and fasting. 
So what I want to do, quite simply, is just walk through the biblical story and do a survey, a brief survey of the, of the practice of fasting and look at the purposes for fasting through the Scriptures. And broadly, there are three, three major headings or purposes that people fasted in the biblical story. We're going to cover quite a few verses. We're going to be jumping around, so you can either flick through your Bible or we'll have the words up on screen, so don't worry too much if you don't turn to all of them. The first major reason in the Bible that people fasted was to express lament. Uh, Not maybe the reason that comes to our mind the quickest, but there's a strong connection, especially in the Old Testament, between fasting and lamenting. Lamenting is just expressing sorrow or grief or affliction in some way, expressing the, the sorrow in our soul to God, and fasting was a way of accompanying that. So a good example of this is in Joel, the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 12, where God says this through Joel. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. And he goes on to say, rend your heart. In other words, tear your heart open, not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. And abounding in love. So here is God saying, I want you to turn back to me, turn, turn away from your sin. This is a call to repentance, to call away from self-centered living, back towards God as the center of life and community. And God says, I want you to accompany that repentance and that turning of your hearts back to me. I want you to accompany that with fasting, with going without food for a period of time. Fasting was something that people did as a practice of repentance, to humble themselves before God and truly confess their sin, their wrongdoing before God. It's so easy for us to gloss over our sin and to treat it lightly and to take for granted the extravagant grace of God. But fasting is a way of bringing us face to face with the ugliness of sin in our lives. The ugliness of sin, not so that we're condemned and not so that we're laden with guilt, but so that we can appreciate the immensity of God's grace that reaches down and plucks us out of that pit. But fasting can be a way of afflicting our bodies, in a sense, depriving our bodies, so that we allow ourselves for a time to feel the gravity of our own sin before God. And again, the idea is not to stay in that place, but then to move through that, through repentance, to a fresh appreciation of the grace and the mercy and the love of God that He is gracious and he is compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love but fasting can be a means of confessing our own sin and expressing repentance to god another purpose of lamenting that incorporates fasting in scripture is expressing grief just grief for things in our life sorrow a downcast heart for tragedy and difficulty that we go through in fact people believe this is where fasting came came from that that natural loss of appetite that we experience when we go through grief Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was barren, couldn't have children. And 1 Samuel says that she wept and did not eat because of her affliction, because of the struggle of not being able to have children. David fasted when King Saul died to express his grief over the loss of the king. When Israel lost 40,000 warriors in battle, they declared a national day of fasting and mourning. Fasting was a way of humbling ourselves and grieving and expressing the real depth of sorrow that was in the hearts of people to God. It could accompany grief in all kinds of forms. 
And fasting was also something done to lament on behalf of others. There's an interesting little moment in the story of David and Jonathan where David, uh, Jonathan rather, fasts on David's behalf. He fasts because he's so appalled at the way his father is treating David because Saul tries to take David's life. And Jonathan refuses to eat because of that, to express his anger at what his dad has done to David and to express his solidarity with David in that moment. Jonathan's not in any danger. He's not grieving. He's not struck with any kind of tragedy, but he's fasting to really enter into the struggle that David is going through and express his solidarity with others. Now, those three kinds of lamenting, lamenting over sin, lamenting in grief, lamenting in solidarity with others, they're all just as relevant to our lives today. We experience these kinds of lament and sorrow and grief. And therefore, fasting as a practice has just as much value for us today as it did in biblical times. Probably the most well-known fast that happens today annually is the 40-hour famine. Some of you might have done it. Maybe you don't think of that so much as a fast in a biblical sense, but it really is. In fact, it fits quite nicely in that third category that we just looked at, fasting on behalf of others. So when you do the 40-hour famine, you're not just raising money for people that live in poverty. You're also, in a sense, entering into that struggle. You're allowing yourself to go without food for 40 hours in a way, in some small way, to experience what it is not to have enough food, to struggle to put food on the table each night, for that to be a consuming focus of our heart and our mind. We're entering into, quite physically, with our bodies, the struggle and the suffering of the world's poor. And there's tremendous power in that. So there's a real connection in the Bible between fasting and lamenting. And you might want to explore in your own life, incorporating the practice of fasting, perhaps just for a season, perhaps at a moment, when you experience lament or need to express sorrow, repentance, or grief, or stand in solidarity with others who are really battling. There's a second type of fasting in the Bible. And this is fasting to strengthen prayer. To strengthen prayer. God obviously calls people to pray, but alongside that you often see people fasting in order to really bolster and intensify the prayer that they are asking for. A great example of this is Queen Esther. In the book of Esther, you have the Queen Esther, Jewish queen of Persia, and there's a plot of genocide to exterminate the Jewish people. And it falls to Esther to go and approach the king of Persia to intercede or to petition him on behalf of the Jewish people to call this this, uh, project off, to call this plot off. And Esther says this, before she goes in and sees the king, Here is what she says in Esther 4, verse uh, 16. She says, Go and gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So here's Esther, and she doesn't just say, Right, Mordecai, I want you to pray for me. She doesn't just say, call all the Jews to pray. She says, call them to pray and fast, to go without food, to intensify our petition that God would save the Jews. Here is a moment when the very future of the Jewish people is under threat. And to strengthen their prayer to the Lord for deliverance, Esther calls the Jewish people to fast and to pray. And God hears their prayers. And through circumstances, he works and the Jewish people are spared. Now, it's not just in situations of crisis or national tragedy 
that you see this happening. There are other occasions when fasting comes alongside prayer. You have Ezra, who led the Israelites out of captivity or exile in Babylon and back home to Jerusalem. And before they leave for their journey, before they leave to come back to Jerusalem, he calls them to fast and pray for safe travel, for a safe journey. And God again hears their prayer. So that's not a situation of crisis. That's a situation of great opportunity and celebration and new life and hope and possibility. But God's people know they still need his spirit. They still need his protection and his power. And they bolster their prayer with fasting for a safe passage home. On another occasion, King David's child is afflicted with a serious illness and he prays and he fasts for the health of that child. And on that occasion, his prayer is not answered and God takes the life of that child. It's a good reminder that fasting is not a guarantee. It's not a bargaining chip that you use to force God's hand. It's a way of entering into a deeper prayer. It's a way of strengthening prayer, but it's no guarantee that God's automatically going to do what we want him to do. Throughout history, there's been many times when people have felt called by God to fast and to pray for the working of his spirit. In 1857, there was a guy called Jeremiah Panfer who became the pastor of a church in New York called the Fulton Street Church. He came into that church. He didn't really know what to do. He hadn't had any formal theological training, didn't know how to go about being a pastor. So he just decided to call a prayer meeting call a noonday prayer meeting. And he went around the streets of New York, the area where he was, handed out these flyers for a prayer meeting to anyone who would take one. And on the designated day, he showed up and he was the only one. Nobody else came. So he started praying. About 20 minutes into the prayer meeting, he heard someone else coming down the stairs. One other person joined him. The next time he scheduled a prayer meeting, a few more people came. And the following time, the room where they were praying was full. They kept on scheduling these noonday prayer meetings every working day. More and more people came to these prayer meetings. And other churches started doing the same thing, noonday prayer meetings. And it became such a thing that factories across New York City would blow the lunch whistle at 11.55 to give their workers time to rush to the nearest church to pray. And they accompanied their prayer with fasting, prayer and fasting for God to move in their city. At the height of those prayer meetings, there were 40,000 people in New York City praying and fasting for a work of God's Spirit among them. It spread to other major cities in the United States. And it resulted in huge numbers of people coming to faith in Christ because of this fervent prayer and fasting. Two years later, by 1859, it's estimated that a million people across America had been won to Christ because of the prayer and fasting of what is now called the Layman's Prayer Revival. And that all happened a couple of years before the start of the American Civil War. It's incredible to think that some of the people who died and lost their lives in that war are now in heaven rather than hell because of the prayer and the fasting that went on several years earlier to pray for God's Spirit to work in the hearts of people on the streets of all these cities across the United States. God moves and works in response to the prayer of his people. And fasting is a way of strengthening that prayer before God. I've felt called in recent times to engage in this discipline, this practice in my own life. And I'm hesitant to talk about it because I'm very conscious of Jesus' words in Matthew 5 where he said, when you fast, you fast to God and not to people. And you don't show them and you don't tell them and all those things. So I just hope you can hear my heart here. I'm not trying to boast or be arrogant or anything like that. This has not been a major part of my spirituality. 
Uh, But I do feel in recent times that God has called me back to this practice as a rhythm in my life, as a way of praying for our church. Praying for a fresh working of God's power among our church. And as I've been praying and fasting, I felt my heart drawn not only to our church community, but beyond to pray for the lives of people that we know who don't know Christ. People on our streets, people in our workplaces, people in our families who are far from God, prodigal sons and daughters that God is wanting to bring back into his family. And I've felt my heart breaking for those people all over again. And I've sensed God calling me to pray and fast for his work, not only in us and among us, but also through us, out into our communities, out into our world. So I've started fasting just one lunchtime a week. It's not quite the layman's prayer revival of every day, but just one meal. It's, it's a seven or eight hour a week fast, that's all, just over lunch, and trying to take some time on that day to pray, to pray for God's work in our church and through us. Sometimes for specific things, sometimes just a prayer that God would work in, in ways that only he knows. Sometimes a prayer that he would do awesome things that we don't expect, as Isaiah 64 talks about, things that we just don't even see coming and couldn't possibly pray for, but that God would pour out his spirit and melt people's hearts, and draw people to himself, and establish them in their faith. And, in, and when, you, when you pray in that way, and I found when I fast, you just see the hollowness of the way that we sometimes go about stuff, in such a human-centered way, thinking that we're the center of stuff, and it's our responsibility just to go out there and make stuff happen, and fix things, and feel all this pressure, and you realize this is a work of the Spirit of God. And God longs for us to call upon him, to seek his face, to call upon his name. And he promises to work in response to the prayers of his people. Maybe not in ways that we see. Maybe not in ways that we expect. Maybe not in ways that we'll see in our lifetime. But we trust that when God's people pray and when they strengthen their prayer through fasting, God truly works. He longs to pour out his spirit. He he doesn't play games with us. He longs to bless and to work and to move. And he invites us to pray for it. So, you're welcome to join me. If you would like, wherever you are, maybe this is a step for you. If you sense that God is calling you to this, maybe it's just for a season. I think fasting is a bit different to other practices and that sometimes it is for a season. Sometimes it's for a moment. But maybe for you, this is a season. And I invite you, maybe it's one lunchtime a week and you fast over lunch and then spend some of that time that you'd normally be eating or socializing on your own or in community praying. Pray for God's work in your life, in our church, and through us into the lives of people that God has yet to call home. So fasting can strengthen our prayer, and there's one final reason or purpose for fasting in the Bible, and it's very related. It's simply to draw near to God. You see this in the book of Acts, in chapter 13. There's this passing reference to fasting. It's not a big focus, but just a passing reference in verse 2. It talks about the church in Antioch, where Paul was a pastor, the Apostle Paul. And it says, while they were worshipping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, to the work that I've called them. While they were worshipping and fasting. I'd never even seen that word fasting in that verse before. Never even, it just shows how used we are to just glossing over these references. But here they are, and we don't know exactly the purpose for which the Antioch church was fasting, But it seems like it was part of their worship practice, part of their worshiping, praying life together, that perhaps in a sense they were praying simply to draw near to God and anchor themselves more deeply in his grace. In a totally different way, you see this in the life of Paul himself, after the Damascus Road experience, after he sees Jesus 
and he realizes how wrong he's been in persecuting the church. And he's blinded for three days. During that time, he doesn't eat or drink anything. There's three days there of blindness, symbolizing, I think, his previous spiritual blindness. And during that time, I mean, you can imagine maybe what some of Paul was thinking during that time of just realizing who Jesus really was, that he really had risen from the dead, that he wasn't the opponent of the Jewish people trying to drag them away from faithfulness to God, but he was the very culmination of the whole story of Israel and the story of humanity. What a massive revolution that was in Paul's thinking and in his heart. And that sense of him drawing near to God and to Christ in a fresh way was accompanied by him with three days of prayer and fasting, going without food. Fasting is a means of drawing near to God. It's a time when we take one of our most basic physical needs, which is the need for food, and we deliberately, consciously make it secondary to our ultimate need, which is God. And we tell ourselves, we tell our bodies, we tell our hearts that our greatest need is not physical bread, but it's the bread of life. It's Jesus. We teach that to ourselves by taking away temporarily the physical sustenance so that our hearts might be directed fully toward God. And we take, when we feel those hunger pangs come, we take hold of them and we channel them into a deep hunger and thirst for righteousness and a hunger and a thirst for the power and the presence of God in our life. We transfer our physical hunger into a spiritual We don't ignore our hunger pangs. We use them. We leverage them into spiritual hunger and longing for the power of God and the kingdom of God and the work of God's Spirit in our lives to take us deeper into His grace and deeper into his presence, so that we become like David in Psalm 63, who said, I long for you in a dry and weary land. My whole body longs. I thirst for you where there is no water. David's desperately hungry. He's desperately thirsty, but he doesn't say to God, I hunger and thirst for some food. I mean, isn't that the natural thing you'd be praying at that point? I'm thirsty and I'm hungry. Could you give me something to eat and drink? What he prays and the psalm that emerges from this is a transference of physical hunger to spiritual hunger so that he says, I hunger and I thirst for you, for you, God, for your power and your presence in my life. It's that longing for God. I think most of us long to long. But fasting can cultivate within us a deep longing that only God can truly satisfy. Dallas Willard writes eloquently about fasting. He says this, Fasting confirms our utter dependence on God by finding in Him a source of sustenance beyond food. Through it we learn by experience that God's word to us is a life substance, that it is not food, bread alone that gives life, but also the words that proceed from the mouth of God. We learn that we too have meat to eat that the world does not know about. Fasting unto our Lord is therefore feasting, feasting on him and doing his will. Isn't that a great image? That He's saying, you know, fasting is not, it's not just lack, it's not emptiness, it's filling up. The, the focus of our fasting is not of food, it's 
filling and feasting on Christ and his word and his strength and on prayer and on him and allowing our souls to be filled in a new way with God's power and presence. I think that's helpful when you're fasting to think of it as a spiritual feast that perhaps you can't have in other ways, a special type of spiritual feast that only comes when we take away physical food for a period of time. Now, there's one big caveat with all this that I want to mention because it's one that I stumbled over when I started fasting. Don't think that when you start fasting, you are going to have this incredible spiritual experience, feel incredibly close to God, and have this wonderful ecstatic communion with Him. When I started fasting, what I felt was grumpy. I felt tired. I still do. Your concentration lapses. You obviously feel hungry. Physically, you become weakened. And emotionally and mentally, you become weakened. And that can be quite a shock if you're used to, or if you're expecting fasting to kind of produce this great emotional experience. But the first thing that fasting will do is bring you face to face with how much you're controlled by your own physical appetite. Richard Foster says the stomach is like a spoiled child. And what a spoiled child needs is not indulgence, but discipline. Fasting shows us how much our stomach controls us. Every part of us dictates to us how we feel dictates to us our headspace, dictates often our relationship with God, believe it or not. You don't have to have an overeating problem to have made a God of your stomach. It simply dictates our lives in ways we're not even aware of until we start denying it what it wants. So you're going to feel a bit grumpy and you're going to feel a bit irritable and that's okay. Because I think a huge purpose of fasting is that we learn to relate to God in spite of our emotional and physical state. We tend to make our emotions and our physical state the the barometer of our relationship with God, the litmus test of how we're going. If we feel close to God, then things are good. And if I feel physically refreshed and rejuvenated, then I'm much more able to relate to Him. But God doesn't want it to be like that. He doesn't want your relationship with Him to depend on the roller coaster of your emotional and physical state. What he wants is for you to learn to relate to him regardless of how those things are playing out in your life. And so in fasting, we've got this opportunity where we intentionally put ourselves in a position of weakness. We intentionally put ourselves in a weakened physical state, in a state we know is going to make us a little bit more mentally fuzzy, in order to train ourselves to relate to God at a deeper level than our emotions. And fasting has the potential to draw us into a deep river of communion with God that runs under the surface of our emotional and physical state. A deeper river of God, a deeper river of God's life within us that doesn't depend on the ups and downs of how tired or grumpy or irritable we are. We can can learn through fasting a deeper way of connecting with and relating to God. So those are the three purposes of fasting to express lament, to draw near to God, and to strengthen our prayer. And as we close, I want to just give you one really practical way of stepping into this discipline. At the end of this month, we are going to have a church-wide fast. We're going to have a 24-hour period, March 29th and 30th, where we're encouraging all of you who are part of our church community to fast for 24 hours. We're not going to have an organized prayer meeting or church event or any any kind of corporate gathering during that time. This is just a time for us as individuals and families to go without food for a period of time in order to spend time praying and being in Scripture 
praying for ourselves, praying for our church, praying for those we know who don't know Christ. We're going to start the fast at midday on Saturday. We're going to break the fast in church on Sunday with communion. And then you can go and feast afterwards at Wendy's or wherever you want. So for 24 hours, I want to encourage you to join it. Maybe the first time you've ever done this, that's okay. Join in with this fast. And if you're going to do this, here's a few things just to prepare you. First of all, decide on what purpose this fast is going to have for you. Think about these three purposes of the fast that we've talked about this morning. Decide which of them you want to emphasize. Maybe for you there is some time spent in confession and and asking God to really break the power of something that's in your life a habit, an addiction, something that's pulling you away from him. Perhaps for you it's to strengthen your prayer. There's prayer for something particular that you're facing at the moment, and you're going to fast and pray for that. Perhaps it's prayer to draw near to God, to truly cry out for that deeper relationship with him, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. I'd encourage you to use some of your time to pray for us as a church community. Pray for God's working in us and through us out into our communities. But decide, don't leave it to the time to figure this out. Decide ahead of time how you're going to use the fast. Then decide what kind of fast it's going to be. Now, the normal fast is that you go without food, but you drink water. So you don't have anything that's got calories. But there may be situations that just may not be advisable for you for physical reasons. I remember the first time Anna and I did a a fast. We did a 24-hour fast, and it finished overnight, so we would break the fast with breakfast. The following morning... Anna had peanut butter toast for breakfast and then proceeded to vomit it up because she just physically, just you know, it, her metabolism, her own tininess, just didn't work in terms of fasting for that period of time. And we were flying out to Seattle that morning, so then she had to get on a plane and deal with this awful uh, physical state. So maybe for you, you need to look at a partial fast of just knocking out some foods, or you need to look at a shorter period of time, maybe just one or two meals during that time. But if you feel physically able to go through a 24-hour normal fast, uh, then I'd encourage you to do that. If going without food is not an option for you at all because of medical or health reasons, then you might want to try a non-food fast. In theory, you can fast from anything. Fasting is just going without something. But I just encourage you to think about something that is really meaningful and very basic to your existence. You know, some people say, I'm just going to fast from Facebook for 24 hours. Well, you know, Facebook, physical food, I'm not sure those things are really comparable. Maybe choose something that's a little bit more basic, like sleep, for example. How about that? Going without sleep. Perhaps on that night, if you can't join us for a physical fast, you could spend half the night or the full night in prayer. It's the spiritual practice of watchfulness that Jesus, based on Jesus talking to his disciples about watching and praying asking them not to fall asleep when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe for you, it's a very similar practice to fasting. We deny ourselves something our body needs, food or sleep, in order to strengthen prayer and draw near to God. So think about what kind of fast you want to undertake if you're going to join us in this. And then think about and pre-plan some things that you're going to do on your fast, particularly things around Scripture and around prayer. Remember, you're going to be grumpy, you're going to be tired, and you're not going to have a lot of concentration. So plan some times when you will pray during that 24-hour period and make yourself a little plan or map of perhaps particular verses that you're going to read, particular prayers that you're going to pray so that you don't just sit down and just try whatever but that you have a plan already. We're going to produce for you 
Uh, it'll be available hopefully next Sunday, a little handout that can guide that time for you. Some intentional scriptures and readings, uh, like Alexio Divina, that you can do during those times to draw near to God and spend some focused time in prayer. So if you're not sure where to start, we'll give you some resources that you can use. But think about this ahead of time and make a plan because that is the, the best way to maximize that time of prayer and fasting. But I believe if we join together in this, that if we join together as a church around prayer and around fasting, we will see God move in incredible ways. I really believe it. Again, who knows what that'll look like? I don't want to preempt that. Who knows whether it's seen or unseen? But again, to quote the words of Richard Foster, fasting can bring about breakthrough in the spiritual realm that can simply happen no other way. It's a means of God's grace. It's not a legalistic command. It's a means of his grace and his blessing that we should not neglect in the life of our church. So let's commit ourselves as a church to the practice of prayer and the practice of fasting, that we might see God do awesome things that we do not expect or see coming in our lives, in our church community, and in our local communities as God works by his Spirit. Let's pray together. God, as we talk about this discipline, this practice this morning, I pray you would settle on our hearts if this is something that you're wanting us to step into. And I pray that none of this would be legalistic. I pray that none of this would be a guilt trip. I pray, Lord, that for anyone now who's just feeling pressurized or uncertain, I pray you just free them from seeing this as as rule-keeping or some means to self-righteousness. God, help us to see this practice, even though it is obscure to us. Help us to see it as a means of your grace, as a means of your blessing, as a means of drawing near to you. God, underneath all this, we simply want to be people who cry out to you, who call upon your name, who seek your face, and who humble ourselves. And I thank you that fasting reminds us that when we are weak, you are strong that your power is perfected in our weakness. So God will choose to make ourselves weak, even if it means denying our bodies food, in order that we might see a demonstration of your Spirit's power within us, among us, and through us. And we pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.